Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new, fresh, exciting, funky episode. <laughs> never seen before. Brand new content for never your heard listener. <laughs> never seen. Only. Never even seen. That's because we're not a visual medium and you'll never see it. Unless you follow us on social media, then you can see photos of our beautiful oh, nice. faces. My name oh. is Matt. I am a science enthusiast. I am speaking yes. from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people. And I am joined, as always, by my beautiful, fantastic, exciting, knowledgeable, inquisitive... <laughs> oh my gosh, you've been reading a thesaurus. ...host, co-host, so Kate. Hello. Yes. Hi. Hi. Yes, I'm here. Um, you're not just joined by me. We have got another mm-hmm. guest on today. Very not just excited. any guest. Uh, not just any guest. Not just any guest. We have got... Our friend the of the show. The one and only friend of the show, resident spaceman, <laughs> Ben Metha. Hello, I live here. Um, <laughs> and Ben and I are both recording from lands traditionally owned by the Wawandari people. So. A needle pulling thread. <laughs> La. A note to follow, so. Tea. It's pretty good. I enjoy it. Maybe with one sugar and a touch and of milk. It'll bring us back to so. <laughs> Science. We're going to talk about <laughs> science, but uh, Matt, before we talk about some science, mm. how you going? Just how you going? Well, my arm's a little bit sore. How you going? Why I'm a little bit, a a little bit phased out at the moment. Not Nothing too yeah. crazy. I don't know if that's just because mm-hmm. I'm tired, but no, I got my first mm-hmm. dose of Pfizer vaccine today, yes. which I'm excited for. You got it today? I got it today. You got it today? I got it at 3 p.m. Oh, my God. Twinsies. Was was yours your first? Wait, 3 p.m.? I got it at 1 p.m. So, like... Is that the same? That's the same time between Melbourne and Perth. across time zones. We literally got the max at the same time. (laughs) We got our vaccine at the same time. This is adorable. That's amazing. That is... That is... I... Wow. I, I got mine a few months ago. I got it before it was cool. <laughs> uh, if I knew that our vaccines were quantumly entangled like that, man, I would have appreciated the moment more when I was sipping on that apple juice. Uh, well, there you go. There you go. That's Bless a bit of fun. It's okay. <laughs> we'll do it again in six weeks. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. I, it's, I, a <laughs> it's a date. It's a date. Wait, guys. have you booked a new appointment yet? I haven't booked mine in yet. Let me... I'll sync mine up with yours. We'll... No, I couldn't. <laughs> I'll I couldn't have my people call your people. We'll Apparently, have everything six weeks from now is booked out, which is rude. Oh, that's awkward. But I'll have to make a phone call and see if I can figure something out for that mm. one. We'll we'll coordinate it. All right. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to um get out of work for the day for it. I was meant to be finishing a little bit later, but I told the boss that I was getting it done. He was like, Yeah, nah, leave, leave when you gotta leave. And he actually was I was able to leave a little bit early. Normally it would take me like an hour to drive from work to home or where the uh where I would have got the vaccine done. So I didn't need the to leave. Center. Yeah, will. the Jabby Center. Didn't need to leave till like House of Spikes. 12, but I managed to leave by 10, which was nice. So I managed to go home via the the climbing gym and get a quick climb in before going to the Jabby Center. So oh, before. Before. Uh, for a split second, <laughs> yeah. I thought you went and got Well, because I knew I wouldn't be able to like, go hey. climbing after I got the jab because yeah, now okay. I can't lift my arm and I'm in pain. Oh, so I was like, okay. Climbing gym. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> I got to climb does. trees like a caveman. <laughs> <laughs> And we can climb those as well. I mean, you Matt, Matt climbs a lot of trees as well. I do yeah. enjoy climbing trees. Anything that I can ascend, I will try and <laughs> ascend. I, I see a height and I'm like, I must be perched there. But it is there's an <laughs> obstacle to be conquered, and I would I would like to see myself conquer it. 
So I was really happy that I was able to squeeze that in just before getting the vaccine. So my tiredness right now, I don't know if it's because I've just had work and then long commute and then climb and then vaccine Mm, and then commute mm -hmm. or whether it's vaccine that is leading to my spaciness. But Mm. how, how are you feeling after yours, Benji? Yeah, I'll be the control group in this one yes. for effects of climbing on tiredness. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel great. I feel like a bit of a mild sort of like, you know, mm. just generally sick. Mm. Like, you know, when you're not mm. really sick with anything, but you just kind of feel sick. Run That's down the kind of feeling. under the weather. Fully. Yeah. Hey, man, I always feel sick. <laughs> fully sick. Utterly fully sick. Completely unwell. It's like you get the jab and all of a sudden you're just the coolest fucking person out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, that's true as well because you know what? You're doing that your is, part to protect the community. That's 100% the truth. <laughs> all these um, Olympic skateboarders taking performance-enhancing vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm. Get vaccinated, people. Oh Get vaccinated. You feel hard, hard a little bit sick for a bit, but you know what you feels worse? COVID. COVID. And then, you know, yeah. COVID doesn't kill you. And your friends um, and loved ones and family and like. the rest of the world. And it doesn't keep states in lockdown for horrible periods uh, of time. Yes. Don't talk to me about lockdown, Mr. Western Australia. I was trying to be empathic towards you. I was trying to reach out an olive branch and be like, hey, I I want to spread the message to help you, you know? I get Mm. to do really lucky things like go to work and then go climbing and then get vaccinated, which a lot of people Mm -hmm. in Australia right now don't have the luxury to do because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are being really fucking stupid Mm -hmm. and not staying in lockdown and not getting vaccinated because they're believing a lot of misinformation, which we are here to stop the spread of, which is why we have a science podcast. Speaking of which, Mm. what are we talking about today? Speaking of, let's talk about some science. (laughs) We're not going to be talking about vaccines today. We have done an episode on vaccines already, if you want to go back and give it a If you're curious about some of the information and misinformation that's being spread about Mm. vaccines, you're wondering how they actually work, we do a really good deep dive with an epidemiologist on how vaccines mm. immunologist immunologist Katrina, sorry Katrina our COVID joined episode us for that one with yeah an epidemiologist so we, if you want to learn more about coronavirus go back and listen to our three-part episode on coronavirus we did in 2020 um, it's your vaccine against misinformation hey <laughs> i like that you ha- yeah you do and have- you know covid themed episodes we've also got one on soap and why it's really good it, you know why washing your damn hands is still actually important breaks down the virus i feel anyway, like we need to do a second COVID. vaccine episode your own right podcast. because you know the Never. vaccine if, if, if our vaccine episode is the vaccine against misinformation clearly we need two doses right so we need to do a vaccine, <laughs> vaccine part two, two episode i will call it dose two instead of part <laughs> yeah, two vaccine not part two. two vaccine dose two <laughs> vaccine this is two, a genuinely grand idea we'll have to think about what we can talk talk about um <laughs> vaccines i'm keen though we'll talk about how the 5g connects to you and like helps you stream mine hasn't better kicked in yet my <laughs> phone still like doesn't get it's still stuck on 4g or was i uh, meant to get a new phone as well have you had any desire to buy microsoft products <laughs> oh shit i n- no no i bought my microsoft laptop before <laughs> getting the jab so. okay Playing a lot of Minecraft um, recently. <laughs> I often no. already play Minecraft. The vaccine didn't change that. <laughs> Dear. Um, science. Anyway, let's, science that isn't COVID because, you know, enough of that. Enough of that. Yes. What science that isn't COVID are we talking about today? Well, well, well I'll tell you, man. but before I do, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update on a previous episode. Okay. 
if that's oh, cool. Yeah, please. please. So you remember the last episode I was on, what I was talking about? Was it the the telescope was the most The James one, Webb the telescope? James Webb? I do recall seeing some news about that, James but Webb. I don't know what news. Yeah, well, I think you could probably guess it. <laughs> news about the James Webb telescope. <laughs> has it in fact been delayed? It has again? been delayed. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. Who no could have seen coming. it coming? Oh, my God. Shocked. <laughs> Truly. There was part of me that wanted to believe that, like, it was going to be it update. Was finished. Hey, guess what? Actually, we have a launch it's date. Done. It's happening. It's actually been put. No, it's just. Well, that, I've got good news and bad brand. news. It's, it's be been brand. delayed, um, <laughs> but not by much. So it was originally start slated for October 31st was launch date. October 31st. Uh-huh. Um, Halloween, Halloween launch date. Auspicious Ooh, date. Yeah. I like that. Absolutely. Um, that's not going to happen anymore for all kinds of reasons. Get your vaccine. We'll learn space telescopes faster. (laughs) One of the many (laughs) reasons. That's the reason. (laughs) I mean, Um, believe what you want to believe about COVID. Don't you want to see stars, but closer, you know? I do. I really do. I really (laughs) honestly do. That came across as sarcasm, but it was sincerity. (laughs) (laughs) I could feel the earnestness behind it. I appreciate that. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been delayed, but not by much. It's still going to be launched this year. At the moment, they're saying November or December because they don't want to say a date because they'll screw it up again. <laughs> yeah, give um, it, keep it ambiguous. Keep, keep it, it vague. Ambiguous, keep, it vague. You know? um, keep us but guessing. But I can tell you that it's um, passed all of its tests. Oh, hey. well done. And now it's ready to get um, boxed up and shipped. Um, and I cannot tell you the date that it's going to get shipped because they're worried that if they do reveal that information, then the James Webb Space Telescope is going through pirate-infested waters um, oh, and shit. someone's going to oh. take it hostage. <laughs> oh, my God. Of like, course. Oh, the t- I would hate for that to happen, but... But can someone make a film around the concept it, of that happening? Or at a least telescope a heist, Netflix show. A pirate telescope heist. And, and you know what? Pay good money Here's to the kicker. The pirates do a better job at getting it launched into space than NASA. <laughs> yeah, That's the kicker. The pirates yeah. aren't capturing it. They're liberating it. I, I can tell you that there is a video game that you can play online right now. We'll give you all a link so you oh can get God. onto it. Yes, um, they call it web piracy, but like James Webb. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Well, I'm very happy for the telescope, but of course it's been delayed. I mean, you got to stay on brand, right? It's got an image to uphold at this point. <laughs> I wish it wouldn't, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish it would just change. You can't change the ones you love. You have to love them how they are. <laughs> If you hey, meet if, them where they're at, if you can't you know? love me at my constant delays, then you don't deserve me at my eventual launch. Okay. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? <laughs> That's a great question. And I'm glad you asked it. Um, I want to talk to you all about a science, a little topic. Um, mm-hmm. It's also about space. Um, something called space debris. Oh, I've heard of this. You've heard of this. I've heard of space trash. All right. Tell space me what trash. you know about space trash. Space okay, trash. Tell me what you know about space trash. What do we? Where, what are our levels? Where are we at? What's our understandings? How about you start, Kate? Because normally I tend to yeah, know a little bit more about the astronomy. You will actually be the more stuff. knowledgeable one here. Yeah, I know. I know jack shit about space, which is why we have our <laughs> resident spaceman um, to come on the show and teach you all. Um, no, so my understanding of space debris is that it's anything that was man-made that ended up floating around space, maybe. Um, so like every time we launch something into space, bits break off or satellites and it's just kind of like 
hanging out and it can maybe crash into things and get in the way. I don't know what we do about getting rid of it. Like, is that even possible? Is there a giant vacuum cleaner for space? Well, if you think about it, space is already Black one hole. big vacuum, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's my kind of. That joke sucks. <laughs> I wish that the look I was giving right now could be portrayed via audio medium. I'd like to but... think it was. The silence was. The silence telling. was. <laughs> the bitter silence. The notes that Says weren't played. Um, yeah. Matt, go. Hand um, on. Over to you. More or less the same. Any kind of trash that we've left up there, usually from our various launches of rocket ships when it kind of goes into its different stages and stuff like that. But not just that, we got really tiny little fragments up there as well. Little little tiny screws, little bits of shit. I don't know how that got there. Maybe bits spacemen are just clumsy when they're <laughs> opening their toolboxes. Um, but I believe it's more specifically pertaining to the stuff that's kind of in orbit around our planet because if it's out there not in orbit then doesn't really bother us right because we're probably not going to encounter it in the extreme vastness of the universe um just yeah, a bunch of like space as trash that we likes to say um yeah space is big and three-dimensional so mm. like the chances of us finding anything when it's not near us is like um pretty pretty damn slim like finding um, a needle mm. in a cosmos pulling thread <laughs> yeah. La, I know to follow so. Fuck. That'll bring us back to space debris. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this episode's actually an Instagram reel. It's going to keep looping and looping and looping and looping. I will not apologize for the chaos medium. that it's I bring. It's also a non-linear medium. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> seen Tenant? Um, <laughs> we were inspired. Uh, this podcast runs forward and backwards at the same time. <laughs> you have to play your theme music backwards in the outro now. It's only fair. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have... I'm now obligated to do this. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely yeah. fuck you for tying my hands like this to make <laughs> me... Oh, goodness. Okay. No. Okay. Um, Back on track. Back on track. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Um, space debris is anything that's in a low Earth orbit um, flying around that we really don't really want to be there. Um, so some of it we count as natural. So if you do get like a bit of asteroid dust, yeah, that's space debris. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, the things you said, like um, rocket stages, you know how rockets launch in stages. Yeah. Um, and then they just like drop off things. Yeah. I always wondered what happened to those bits that they just like shed. Just kind of Depending float on or the rocket, land in the ocean. Right? Some of them are still there. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, so there's a few, like, you know, right. uh, thousand kilogram just chunks of, like, Soviet rockets from the 70s and 60s just still hanging up in the in the upper atmosphere. That's whack. Hmm. Yeah. Um, other things that are classified as space debris are, like, satellites when they're not being used. So if a satellite breaks down, it's kind of just floating up there. No one's going to come and get it. <laughs> no, they don't send out, like... <laughs> cleanup missions that's so expensive we'll get to that you know, okay. you know how <laughs> difficult it is to put stuff into space to do that just to collect some trash that you're probably not going to hit that's kind of like man yikes the, given how like, long it's taking us to actually like get the james webb telescope into space that has this so massive true. amazing use that so much of astronomy is behind and it's like now, but I want to clean up the space garbage. You know, that's that's harder to, like to push, I feel. I feel like you should clean up after yourselves, no? But humans are not good at that, so. I agree. 
So like you both like kind of identified that um, space debris, it's a thing that exists. Um, but something I think you're both kind of like underestimating is that space debris can be a real problem. Um, and so to kind of like show you what I mean like that, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, you're in, you all know the International Space Station. I have mm -hmm. heard of it. I'm aware we of it. We know it. We love it. We're very familiar we stand, with it. We stand the ISS. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So back in 2016, um, there was a tweet um, that was released from one of the astronauts aboard the ISS who took a photo of like one of the windows. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see that there's like a pretty large jagged looking chip in it. Oh, um, shit. Yeah. It's like seven Not millimeters ideal. across um, a chip in this quadruple glazed um, aluminium ceramic composite glass with like layers of transparent mm. stuff, strong glass. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's this mm -hmm. crack in mm -hmm. the side of it. Um, and so people at NASA, some smart guys, um, had a look at it, trying to figure out what might have caused this chip to happen. And eventually the thing they came up with was that it was probably caused by a fleck of paint. A what? A fleck of paint. Oh. Okay. No, what? Yeah, so all of you are kind of like losing your minds right now. How is this possible? Um, I just, like, speed, huh? right? <laughs> So let's talk yeah. a bit about um, how orbit works. Um, so basically, um, for something to be in orbit, it's got to be traveling um, at some pretty rapid velocities. Mm. Um, so, for example, um, the International Space Station orbits the Earth once every 90 minutes. Yeah, right. Earth big. So Earth big. Earth big. <laughs> like, if you think about, <laughs> you know... large. Like... Planes are fast, right? Planes are very, very fast, and it takes mm, many, many hours to fly globe. from one place to another. So uh -huh. for the ISS to go around uh -huh. Earth and not and and further out than what planes are, so that's bigger circumference. Earth big, that must mean ISS go fast. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the orbital velocity of the International Space Station is about um, twenty five thousand kilometers an hour. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, 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 nothing yeah, to sniff at. Bet, <laughs> You want to, you like, let's go, let's go back. Do you want to talk about orbit? We can talk about orbit. Yeah. Um, little sidebar about orbit. Yeah. Um, Please, yeah. Okay, so, like, I'm going to go way back. I'm going to tell you a riddle that, um. A riddle? Oh, yeah, gosh. Galileo oh came God. up with, right? Amazing. <laughs> so. Bring it. Imagine that you're standing in a nice open field. And you've got a loaded gun in one hand mm -hmm. and you've got a bullet in the other hand. Mm -hmm. And then at the exact same moment, you're going to shoot this gun across the field mm -hmm. in your right hand. And you're going to drop the bullet in your left hand from the same height. Um, guns going perfectly flat. Um, now, the question is, which of these bullets, the dropped one or the shot one, is going to hit the ground first? I want to say same time because... Gravity is affecting both of them in that direction at the same rate, but at the same time, I feel that's what he wants us to say, and I'm wrong. I was going to say, is there no, any I like mean... <laughs> lift in the bullet that holds it? You know, that delays it. Yes, yeah, some hitting the ground. Uh, I was going to say, um, according to Galileo, Matt, you are absolutely right. Okay. Um, gravity works the same; it pulls things down. It doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going. Gravity works the same; it doesn't care about your speed. Mm. Yeah, see, because I feel like instinctively, like instinctively, I would have said the one dropped right would hit the ground faster because it's got less of an angle well, to travel. Yeah, because I guess you know if you're just trying to use your 
human intuition. You're like, well, the other one's going faster and it's going further in mm. that axis. So therefore, it's going to take longer to go down before it as falls well. to the ground. Therefore, it'll take longer. So when you're it's using your lizard brain, you're kind of just like, what if the bullet yeah. hits a person and Where, then the person falls to the ground? <laughs> <laughs> you know how people say it's like a spherical counterbalance. It's same thing. There's no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 There, we are now. Okay. So that's okay, like. I accept the premise the that they're gonna. They're both gonna hit the ground at the same point. Or at least so that's, how, that's how Galileo. Galileo. Said, yeah. When he was like talking about how things fall, mm-hmm. something he talked about a fair bit. Turns out, mm-hmm. um, then Newton came along, um, mm-hmm. and he called bullshit on Galileo's little um, thought experiment um, because he said, "Well, where are you gonna get a perfectly flat field? Um, you're not. You're on a planet. Mm-hmm. It's round. So uh, as the bullet you, wait, kind of like Earth's round. Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I'd like Sorry. to think that if to you're clarify, listening that was a joke. to I'm this not a podcast, um, you accept the uh, conjecture accept that the Earth that is the round. round. Yes. Sorry. If you if you legitimately think it's flat, please message me. I want. I have so many questions. <laughs> um, I can't Benjamin even think of a single flat Instagram, Earth argument please. right now to pretend to have because I cannot think of a single. All you're going to do is just look at the horizon, man. You can see it's flat. Also, uh, the horizon isn't real. You can see forever. All right. Let me tell my story. (laughs) Save us. Okay. So, so Newton's like, no, 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 the the earth's curved. Um, Mm. And so because that, as the shot bullet kind of like travels across, um, the earth kind of curves away from it. And so it's got a longer distance to fall. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm. And so then Newton Mm. took it like one step further. He's like, all right, so if we want something to stay in orbit, um, we just got to shoot something so fast that it falls towards the earth at the same rate that the earth falls away from it. Yes. Righto. Yes. Hey. Yes. So yeah. Um, it turns out in order to do that, um, you have to be going pretty damn fast. Um, so the international space station in order to keep its orbit has to go at a velocity of 25,000 kilometers per second. Um, mm-hmm. which brings us back to that little fleck of paint, right? Mm. Um, it may not weigh very much. But if you're a spaceship traveling 25,000 kilometers an hour in Mm. one direction and you've got a fleck of paint traveling 25,000 kilometers in another direction, Mm -hmm. um, you can imagine that the impact that that little piece of paint would do um, could maybe chip a window. One of the main equations I do remember from physics class is F equals MA or force is equal to mass times acceleration. Mm. So even if the mass number is really, really small, if you're timesing it by a really, really big acceleration number, that's still going to equal a very, very big force number. It's a, it's a lot of damage. Um, and it didn't just happen once as well. Like you can see these photos of like um, solar panels with like holes punched through them by mm. space debris shrapnel. Um, or like robotic arms that look like they've got bullet holes in them mm. on these space stations. So what if like an astronaut gets hit by something? By they... oh, astronaut. Uh, if you're an astronaut, uh, you've got a lot of damages for your health. And I think we can do a whole episode on like the things that can kill you from yeah. being in space. Like mm. microgravity is really bad for you. Radiation. Um, the bottom of your feet fall off. You go blind. Like there's yeah, okay. a lot. <laughs> okay. There's a really there's a good Love, Death and Robots episode. Um, low-key kind of horror-style episode where it's an astronaut in space and they get hit by a piece of space debris 
and it untethers them and they're floating oh away from their uh, their <gasps> ship and they just it's just out of reach and they can't reach and their oxygen's failing. And I won't say what happens in it, but they have to do some pretty gnarly stuff to try and attempt to to get back. And it's a really cool kind of like um solo oh, survival story in space. Space horror is cool, man, because space is terrifying and awesome. That is, that is that is a genuinely terrifying genre that I've never given any thought to before, mm. but now I'm just like... It did a far scared. better than Gravity, I've heard. I haven't watched Gravity, <laughs> but I've heard it slammed in reviews. But yeah. I, I, I highly recommend that episode for those who are interested. Gosh. So I've convinced you that um, space debris is pretty dangerous, right? I'm convinced. Yes. Solidly convinced. All right. Um, now I'm going to like make it even more scary if I can. Oh, um, cool. Let's go let's hard, up son. this space horror. <laughs> Down the rabbit so, hole. That's what this is. This is a space horror episode. <laughs> I think so. As far as like the space debris we can actually track, um, we know of more than 18,000 space debris objects in space right now. And how 18, big 000. does the object need to be? Like, are we tracking all of the flecks of paint? That's just it. Um, we can only track things that we can see. Um, most of the space situational awareness we do is from ground. And so the limit on like what we say we can track is it has to be bigger than about 10 centimeters. Damn. Okay. So there's probably a lot more out there yeah. of like even smaller, potentially yeah, deadly paint bullets. Absolutely. Definitely. You can, <laughs> and there's some smart people who've done some estimates on this, but that's a story for another time. Um, I want to, yeah. I want to like, you know, keep the fear mm. going. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to tell you about an event that happened in, uh, 2009, um, okay. called the Iridium Cosmos Collision. Holy shit. That is, I love I'm... that name. <laughs> I okay. love that name. <laughs> uh, it's named after a Russian, uh, inactive satellite called Cosmos, Cosmos mm-hmm. 2251 for the real, real fanatics out there. <laughs> um, and an active U.S. um, communication satellite called Iridium. Um, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I told you it's a collision. The yeah. two things, two discarded, well, one discarded satellite and one active mm-hmm. satellite, um, smashed into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that collision, um, over 2000 new pieces of space debris that we can track, um, were generated. Oh, oh and I bet a lot more shattered. that we couldn't track were also generated. Yikes. Yeah. Many more too small to see. Absolutely. Um, but then this leads to this idea of something that was thought about in the 1970s called Kessler syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, this is made up by Donald Kessler, absolute gun. Um, but basically the idea is space debris can destroy satellites. Mm. Mm-hmm. Destroyed satellites create space debris. Mm-hmm. I see a feedback That space loop. debris can then destroy satellites which mm-hmm. then creates more space debris, uh-huh. creating this runaway collapse that yeah, this fills... The self-perpetuating cycle of doom. Mm. Yeah, um, until every object in low Earth orbit is destroyed. I've also cool, heard cool, 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 that cool. with this, theoretically, it could get to a point where we would never be able to leave our planet or send anything past low Earth orbit because the field of space debris has gotten so dense that if we try to send any objects through it, it'll just get shattered and annihilated by all of this space debris, thus creating more space debris and further doing this problem. So 
it's an idea of we need to clean up the space debris before it gets to that. Before Otherwise, we, get we literally in. trapped in our Are own we... planet, which we're cooking as well. So that's fun. Um, just All a right. little sidebar. I thought you might bring this up. So I we're building an oven oh. for the planet. <laughs> I we're was cooking. wondering whether or not to bring it up because I wasn't sure if you were going to bring it up and I didn't want to steal your thunder, but I wonder if no, you no, had no. a counterpoint to it. <laughs> I'm glad. So there's, there's two things going on here. So, like, one of them, this idea that I think a lot of people have that, like, we are destroying this planet and we need to find a new one, right? Mm. It's, or it's we not... can just, like, save this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, as an astronomer, I am here to tell you that there is no planet that we can find that will be even remotely close to be able to harvest human life to the extent that Earth... Like, when we look for planets, we look for, like, things that have a trace of water, right? Mm. And that's, like, potentially maybe habitable. Um, and then we look for things that like sort of have Earth-like gravity, right? Um, mm. Earth has both of those things. Yes. Earth is the most habitable planet known to mm. man. I'd like to think we are find. the control, you know. Um, but like beyond that, no matter how badly we ruin Earth with like global warming, environmental mm. things, whatever disasters we have, it will still be the most habitable planet that humanity will ever find. I mean, okay. it's the one that created us, you know, it's. We were, we were built to survive Earth, where we're specially mm. conditioned towards Earth's conditions because that's what we evolved in. Pretty mm. much. But, like, um, there's, there's this kind of, like, yeah, if you compare, like, Mars is, like, <laughs> worse than even the most, like, pessimistic global warming apocalypse scenario. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. we're trying to, like, you know, look for ways to, like, you know, have a habitable planet in the future, mm. uh, we got to clean up this one. Yeah. Mm. Get on um, that. Um, yeah, Daddy, Daddy Elon's not getting a <laughs> Um Unless it's through, like, solar-powered yeah. cars. That might work. That might help. <laughs> yes. Um, the, second, the second thing um, on that idea Hydrogen. of, like, um, <laughs> this space debris belt being so dense that nothing can ever escape it, um, the modeling that people are doing is sort of, like, it won't be that bad. Like, um, uh, what's an analogy? Um, it's not, like... You can't cross a road because there are bullets just constantly flying, constantly. It's more of you can't stand in the middle of the road mm. because a bullet will come hit you in a matter of, like, days to weeks to months. Okay. So um, the space debris crisis, Kessler syndrome, wouldn't be so bad that nothing could escape through space. It would just be so bad that nothing could stay in low Earth orbit and okay. be useful to us there. Okay. Yeah. So still terrible, That calms right? me down a little bit, but yeah, still not great. Like, Still something that we definitely want to stop, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the ISS is in low space orbit. We, yeah. we, that's a nifty thing that we want to kind of probably keep going, right? We like, like having things in low Earth orbit. They're, they're good. Low Earth orbit is super useful. I enjoy um, my phone. Um, I enjoy the one. internet. Mm. Yeah. I enjoy GPS. Mm -hmm. Oh, GPS is actually geostationary orbit. Oh. Um, so that one's a little bit higher up. So um, remember how I said that you have to be moving pretty fast to uh, not fall under Earth's gravity? Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, the ISS orbits every 90 minutes. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, GPS, the satellites that do that are in geostationary orbit, um, and they have a 24-hour orbit. Okay. So that means that they oh, always they're, hover. Oh, they, they're they're far enough point. away from gravity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, gravity's weaker. They're a lot yeah. higher up. So it's like the difference between low Earth orbit is about, you know, 700, 800 kilometers up. Um, geostationary orbit is about 40,000 kilometers up. That's many more. 
That's yeah. a lot. That's quite a distance. So they wouldn't earth be destroyed. Bigger. <laughs> yeah, Earth big. <laughs> earth large. <laughs> earth is, yeah, uh, 6,700 kilometers across radius. So um, okay. low Earth orbit is actually like really close to Earth. It's like the closest you can be without the atmosphere being a real pain in the ass and bringing mm. you back down. Yes, mm. <laughs> yes. You don't want that. You don't want that air resistance there. Yeah. Mm. Weirdly, even in low Earth orbit, you do get a bit of atmosphere. Um, and so that's one of the things that people, mm. one of the angles that people like take for this space debris problem is like, okay, how diffuse is Earth's atmosphere up there? Um, how much mm. drag does it do? And because of that, how long would it take um, for a space debris object to like slowly get pulled down from the air resistance, slowed down enough to fall back into Earth. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, there's this whole this whole thing, right? Um, so, like, yeah. this idea we have of, like, space, it's like Earth atmosphere doesn't have, like, a solid boundary, right? It doesn't, like, air mm. and then mm. not. It just keeps it, getting it, thinner. Yeah, right. it thins out. <laughs> yeah. It diffuses. Well, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. make sense for it's there a to be this point boundary. where there just suddenly isn't. Yeah. Air that's does not, not have how, That's not how particles tension. work. <laughs> Gases do not have surface tension. Mm. Yeah, no, they just... That's yeah. really interesting. Why do gases not have surface tension, but liquids do? I don't know. That's a complete, really weird sidebar, but... You can email curiosityrat <laughs> at gmail.com and I will answer that in a future episode. No, legit. Talk email them. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah, no, I'm... I mean, Send I could try to improvise <laughs> some answer now about hydrogen bonds, but I'd do a bad job of it. <laughs> no, 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 I love it. It's a good question. Mm. I want to know. Where was I? What was I talking about? Um, um, space debris. Oh, no, let's... <laughs> things in low Earth orbit. Yeah, so we've talked about... Um, Helpful. The... <laughs> Thanks. So space stations, um, space telescopes like Hubble mm. lives there. Um, James Webb's going way out, so he'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, communication satellites. Optimistic that One he'll even other... get out there. <laughs> Hopefully before the fucking <laughs> space debris apocalypse. Before the, the, the space, yeah. He won't... He gets delayed so long that he can't break past that low Earth orbit. Uh. Um, yeah, the other thing that's like in uh, low Earth orbit that kind of has to be there, um, Earth observations. So whenever you see those kind of like satellite images of Earth or like data on climate mm. change or like, you know, mm. early detection systems for earthquakes or whatever it is, those yeah. all those have to be near things. Earth because that's mm. what they're observing. That's what they're, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, so they we definitely want low Earth orbit to still be a place that we can have fun things. Have yes. Yeah, otherwise the world's going to be a little shitter. A little worse. <laughs> a little bit cool less. infrastructure in space that we want to keep around. Yes. Okay, um, tell me, how are we going to do this? How are we going to solve this? I want to hear about how giant are we going to clean cleaner. it off? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. So there's three kind of, okay, I said that right. There are four kind of <laughs> Um, one of them is um, active tracking. So this is something that happened directly after the Iridium Cosmos collision. Um, one thing that NASA did was create this thing called the United States Space Surveillance Network, which is a real project that exists. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what they do is if you have a satellite, um, mm -hmm. they will for free um, keep track of it. That's nice. Know where it is and uh, let you know if you're going to be having a close encounter within a kilometer of any other object um, within 72 hours. Ah, that's nice well, of them. It's great. I mean, it's good for you if you have a satellite. Mm -hmm. um, it's good for the other person who has a satellite. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also good for everyone else in space because that means there's going to be less space debris that's mm. going to be digging up our windows and bashing in our solar panels. So that's a good bit of infrastructure in place to uh, stop any 
or not stop, help lessen future reduce. Um, yeah, like what good is a notification? Like, oh, you're about to run into this guy. Like, can they do something about that? Can they most, like, yeah, run? most satellites do have little attitude adjustment things. Yeah, um, okay. To kind of like get you out of the way. To make you dodge. Nice. Um, the only problem is if you've got, you know, two inactive satellites, you're going to have a real problem there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, everything's public. You can see all of these data at spacetrack.org if you like data tables. Um, mm. I think you need to make an account, but you can. Um, <laughs> so it's just a really nice like free service. It's like a good way to stop space debris is stop mm. having collisions. Yeah. <laughs> Another like invention that someone had which I think is the coolest thing ever, mm -hmm. was basically a self-contained um, like one centimeter by one centimeter chip that's like a computer and a LED light and a solar panel mm -hmm. that flashes in a unique way that you can stick to the outside of your satellite before you launch it. Um, and then it'll blink in a certain way so that it's sort of just like a license plate for things that are in space. Oh my God. So it's like adorable. Um, Little yes. binary flashy number plate. Amazing. Literally a beep, 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 <laughs> So that when you're looking at it, as it kind of like flies you can identify the sky, it. you've got like a literal ID huh. saying like, hello, I am Skyhopper made by this person. <laughs> and then that will make things so much easier to track. <laughs> I like that. I like that very much. I'm all about the communal shared zone of space. One interesting thing about this is because of space, it's like, it's really hard to make laws in space. Mm. Um, it's super like international fair use anyone can put anything up there for basically any reason as long as it's not a nuclear missile cool. I'm glad that um, they agreed on I'll that I'll just one put my least. regular missiles there instead <laughs> okay so like legit the scariest paper I have ever read um, was a scientific paper that was talking about the definition of the weaponization of space according to different countries cool Cool. Um, cool. So yeah. depending on what you call a space weapon, this is this is big tangent. Um, so if, if something can like, you know, jam a radio frequency and like, you know, stop a satellite from communicating with a ground station, um, that's that could like cause a satellite to crash. That could be considered a weight space weapon. Mm. Those things are there in space. Um, there's also things that can like, you know, physically do contact to another thing. Um, there's also been like, oh, another thing that causes space debris that you shouldn't do if you're a government. If any governments are listening, don't do this. <laughs> um, but something that people do, um, for example, in 2007, uh, the Chinese government blew up one of their own satellites to prove that they could. Um, what? Uh, Why? So they did an anti-satellite uh, missile test okay. to show that they could blow up satellites in space from Earth. Sometimes but, countries but, and governments just like to show the world their how big their dicks are. Um, yeah, I feel like most okay, governments like, are no, guilty there's, of there's this. No, like actual practical. Well, the, the, like, the this practical is a genuine. You, like, is there yeah. a practical reason why showing you would other countries how big your cock is? That's that's the practical. Use. It's proving okay, that like, they have the technology. Actually, yeah, yeah, they have the technology like, to do this. Threateningly to be like, hey, I can blow up my own satellite. No, hey, my, yeah, I could, I could blow up your satellite. I have the capacity to blow up satellites. It is literally like a dick flop out moment. Yeah, it's the same as like new. Nuclear missile right. testing, right? Yeah. Just, just to create fucking space debris. Well, this yeah, that, that was the second biggest um, space debris creating event after the Iridium Cosmos collision. Yeah, nice. Yay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it puts a damper on the mood over there. 
Um, but yeah, a lot of people have come up with like guidelines for dealing with space debris. That's the second way that people are trying to stop it. So the first mm -hmm. one is active tracking. The second one is guidelines. Mm -hmm. So one is like, hey, please design your satellites so that, you know, once you're done using them, once they're like lifetimes are off, mm -hmm. they naturally are expected to crash into Earth mm -hmm. um, or reach a graveyard orbit within 25 years. What's a graveyard Seems reasonable orbit? enough. Yeah. Um, a graveyard orbit is an orbit that will eventually either hit the Earth mm -hmm. Or it will send it so far into like, you know, mid-Earth orbit or deep Earth orbit that it's no longer a problem. It's no longer in these really crowded low Earth orbits. Okay. Um, and instead, it's just kind of like not going to be anyone's problem. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, we don't care about the sunk satellites if they're not in low Earth orbit because mm -hmm. that's not crowded at all. And that's not, not a problem. Yet, until we move it all from low Earth up and then we've got yeah, a Yeah, but that's there. like a very long time away. And I feel also, like because no, of I how... Like, Circles the good work. thing That's about low space, Earth orbit right? is just how close to Earth it is, and you don't get that in other orbits. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Honestly, like it's one thing about space real estate is location, 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 right? You have just exactly. this, you want that amazing, amazing like coastal view. You have this great view of the ocean. Mm -hmm. You're, you're closer mm -hmm. than any other orbit. Mm -hmm. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to go as far mm -hmm. to crash a satellite into the but ocean. What if I want the, the penthouse orbit? Just sublime. Yeah, <laughs> penthouse orbit. <No. laughs> That's I'm above it all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that L2, where James Webb is going to be, is a penthouse orbit. And that's yes. what it is now. <laughs> penthouse Good. orbit. That is I who shall that. now henceforth be referred to as the penthouse orbit. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Honestly, yeah, space, space is all about um, location. So there's other orbits that you get since we're on the topic. Um, one is called like the sun synchronous orbit. So you mm. know how like half of the earth is light, in light and half of the earth is in shadow? I'm familiar mm -hmm. with nighttime. <laughs> It's a concept that I have experienced <laughs> throughout my life. I don't know about you guys. I don't know. I'm a little bit quirky like that, but I, I've actually slept before. Um, the dry oh delivery broke. <laughs> um, no. Okay. So like the advantage of you can put your satellite so that it is always orbiting over the line where it is half night and half day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the advantage of that is that you can always have your solar panels facing the sun. Hey. And you can always have your camera parts facing away from the sun. Oh, that is cheeky. I like that. It's great. Like you got little Mercuries floating around. Yeah. Like tidally the, locked. Tidally locked. Like like the planet oh. Mercury. Half of it's right. always in sun and half of it isn't. We're explaining for I the forgot listener, that Mercury worry. was a planet, not just like a... A dude. Like Freddie Mercury. No, I was thinking, don't they put like Mercury in like thermometers? And oh, stuff? Yeah, oh yeah, right. The it's element. an element. <laughs> the element. Mercury? Yeah. I was thinking um, about the god when it says dude, but yeah. <laughs> so, not saying Freddie Mercury is not a god. <laughs> okay. So what we've established Let's not send him into space. Is that the word Mercury sparked a range of very different things in all of our minds. <laughs> and that's why communication and clarification is important. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Right. But uh, yeah, um, location is very important when you're choosing an orbit. Okay. okay. So I've talked about active tracking. I've talked about um, guidelines, which you can't enforce because space is the Wild West and no one has laws there, mm. except that it should be free for everyone to use. Mm -hmm. um, passive shielding is the other one. So if you can't track things that are smaller than 10 centimeters, then you should at least try to make your satellite so that it doesn't get blown up by things smaller than 10 centimetres. Mm, yeah. So that so, a chip of paint doesn't cause the end of the world space station. Space yeah, station. you want to design your satellites to have kind of thick walls, um, just kind of like that sort of like engineering mm -hmm. side of things where please build your satellites to be tough enough so that these tiny untrackable mm. pieces of debris won't, be, won't destroy it. Um, and it's something that everyone does because, number one, it's good for you. 
Mm-hmm. If you know that your satellite's not going to be destroyed anytime soon, and it's good for I mean, everyone else. If you're investing in a flipping satellite, like you want to make sure it's going <laughs> to hang around for at least a little bit, right? It's a cool like, nine million down the drain. Yeah, <laughs> make sure it comes yeah. fitted with some like some decent airbags <laughs> at least. Like, yeah. And then the fourth method, which is the most exciting method, is mm-hmm. active debris removal. Oh, bang, I'm picturing bang, like degree, Ghostbusters, degree, degree vaporization. Like, is that what that would mean? No, that would make more debris. No, but like That's bad. Don't no, do that. No, no, but like like zappy burn it so it like fully vaporizes and Whoa. like like. That's very futuristic. Is that like a thing? This is super cool, and these are some great ideas, and I want you to keep coming up with them. Cool, <laughs> but they're wrong. No, are, literally. Are you, t- no, are you okay, telling me so... that people in astronomy haven't come up with shooting debris with lasers or fire and make go boom vaporization? Like, is right. that not <laughs> let's all sci-fi? Boom. <laughs> let's play a game. You tell me something that you think people have tried to actively remove space debris, and I will say whether they have or haven't. So I'm going to start with lasers. Yeah. Yes. Okay. They have tried this. Did it work? Did it work? Uh, keep going. Keep naming okay, things. Okay, uh, fire. No. <laughs> fire in space oh, right. does not Oxygen. work. Oxygen, true. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. Keep going. Let's keep going. Um, 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 um. Giant vacuum cleaner. That's Space is a vacuum. That also won't work. Uh, bombs. Explosions. Well, yeah, that'll just make more space to bring. Yeah, but I'm did they sure. try it, though? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, like an active nudging me- method where they just nudge it up to higher and higher orbit levels somehow, yes. like dodge them cars style. Mm. Absolutely. Cars. Did it 100%. work? Yes. Yes. Okay. Big old net. Yes. <laughs> did it work? <laughs> all right. So you're asking, did it work a lot? Yes. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I'm need gonna to save, know. I'm going to save you all some time here. Um, so, so far... No single piece of space debris has been removed. This is all future technology uh. that we are talking about. <laughs> but we have literally, nets now. I think Come on. Every idea that you've like mentioned here mm. um, has been an idea that I have like either read about or not read about. To the point where like someone, the craziest idea I've had for people removing space debris was, mm. okay, what if we just sprinkle a whole bunch of like hydrosulfuric acid in the Ooh. upper atmosphere to burn this stuff up? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Except now no. you've got acid flying How around in space and now the acid's going to hit the fucking uh, satellites and just melt through the shit. Now you've got liquid space debris, which is kind of oh, cool in its own a... way. And also, like, that, I don't Corrosive want that acid that close space to my debris. atmosphere. Like, yeah, that true. can't be good, right? That can't be good. it's going to rain acid for days. All right, so let's, let's, let's move away from the acid. Let's talk about some okay. realistic tested... Space debris method methods that people have actually like prototyped on mm-hmm. Earth and or in space. Number one, tentacles. <laughs> we both, both Kate and I, at that moment, just took a sip of liquid and both tried to laugh and almost spat it out at the exact same time. It came out my nose. My water came out my nose. <laughs> This is victory. This is the social, like, validation that I've needed. (laughs) I'm so glad this is not a video media. (laughs) And that our listeners cannot see my face right now. But I did just take a big old gulp of water, and that was in my mouth. And then Ben said tentacles, and now we're here. (laughs) And I'm not pleased about it. Um... Oh, God. Did you do that on purpose? Did you wait till we just both had a drink of water? No, but I saw an opportunity and I took it. Um. You're nothing if not an opportunist. Is that a word? Opportunist? Opportunist. Uh, I feel like it's cheating that you can see our video and we can't see yours. (sighs) 
Um, Am I safe to drink water considering I didn't actually manage to keep any of that in my mouth? <laughs> I'm going to have tentacles. Um, <laughs> no, we're good now. Um, yeah, so basically, like, when you're cleaning up space debris, um, it makes the most sense to take down the largest pieces of debris first because if they collided with something, you'd get a lot more small pieces of space debris and that wouldn't be any good. Mm. That makes sense. So, so like, follows. one of the kind of, like, main methods that people are is this kind of, like, contact um, space debris removal. So basically, um, you get a little telescope, or you get a little satellite up there, um, mm-hmm. which has got, like, basically a thruster and a bunch of arms. Um, tentacles. Yeah, tentacles, yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you navigate it to be in the same place that the satellite you want to take down is at the same speed that the satellite is going. This is important mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if you're going 25,000 kilometers in one direction and it's going 25,000 kilometers in another direction, you're not going to be able to grab it. That's just mm-hmm. physics. That's um, going to... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get you got to like engineer a space. Tel- uh, uh, I keep saying space. Tel- you got to engineer a, tel- <laughs> a satellite to uh, creep up behind it, grab it, and then kind of crash tackle it into the Earth. <laughs> oh my gosh! And that is a way that you can get rid of uh, a thousand kilograms of space debris, potential space debris, in one fell swoop. Like something that's come straight out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. I feel like that yeah. would be a good use for. Um, the elongated muskrats, uh, reusable rockets and things, the ones that can actually land again back on Earth rather than just crashing once they reach Earth. So that way you can use the same units, go up, scoop some shit, go well, no, back down. I feel like if, if it's crash tackling, it's, it's got it's well, I mean, to crash. It's got to commit to the Then you tackle. can still have like a controlled... Uh, you could let go and parachute, true, I suppose. True, true. Um, yeah, tentacles are really good because they can, like, you know, basically wrap around anything. Mm. Uh, there's been a few, like, missions proposed. One was called Arm in the US, which is basically this dude with an octopus arm who can, like, wrap around things. <laughs> um, Japan has one called Taco. Um, the <laughs> European Space Agency has one called E.Deorbit. I think it might have been re- renamed by now. But they all just kind of, like, are little things that can kind of, like, claw machine style, grab onto a telescope or some kind of space to option. <laughs> And send it back. You said telescope. Get it out of there. Incredible. Could be a telescope. Could be a rocket body. (laughs) Probably it's a rocket body. Um, Another one is robot arms. Um, Same kind of idea, but instead you're kind of like trying to grab onto something. Mm -hmm. Um, This works well unless the thing that you're trying to grab onto is spinning, um, Mm -hmm. in which case it might be hard to grab purchase, or unless it's like something smooth that doesn't have like an obvious handle on it. Mm. or if its handle's broken off. So, like, there's kind of, like, things that you got to think about when you're choosing which space debris removal method to kind of, like, match the method to the thing mm-hmm. you want to take down. Mm-hmm. Nets are a thing that is real and has been tested in space. Um, this is exciting. So Go team net. Yeah. <laughs> this is um, something that went on in the International Space Station. They basically, like, they did a couple of um, experiments in a program called Remove Debris, Um, another European Space Agency mission. Um, Mm -hmm. But basically the idea was um, they had just let out a little CubeSat or something that they kind of like letting go through space and then they shoot a net at it, Spider-Man style, wrap it up, and then that's something that they can bring in. This is incredible. This uh, is this is the next Avengers movie. Well, Um, I think it makes sense, right? (laughs) Avengers remove space debris. Like a lot of people who work in that field are probably familiar with comic books and their associated characters and properties. <laughs> and like, are you saying astronomers are nerds? <laughs> no, I'm saying no. they're geeks. 
<laughs> it's a little bit worse. Other ones, we've got harpoons. Harpoons, same team, also Ooh. tested harpoons in space. Um, cool. It's literally exactly what you think it is. You shoot a harpoon mm -hmm. at a piece of space debris on a tether, mm -hmm. and then you mm -hmm. can grab and it yank and it. yank it in. And then you've yes. got it. And once you've got nice. it, you can go back to Earth with it. You can Fishing get it out for of there. Debris. That feels like something out of, like, the Jack and Dexter games, Matt. Mm. Like, you know, that you would, like, get up and, I don't know, shoot fucking harpoons at space things. Yeah, That's pretty good. you got to be careful with it. You don't want um, your harpoon to accidentally, like, crack the thing in two and then you got two space debris oh, on yeah. it. So you could definitely make things worse. Yes. You've got to have, like, a crushable cartridge at the front of it. it like, you know, people are good at engineering mm. and we can figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. What about glue traps? Have we thought of glue traps? We have thought of methods that like work to increase the drag of a space debris object. So one was like, um, if you take some kind of, cause like in space, you've still got some atmosphere, right? Yes. So if you can increase something surface area by a lot, um, then you can increase that drag and it'll come down to earth quicker. Mm. Um, so the methods that I've read about, one was involving some kind of like basically spider web string that kind of like comes out and wraps around a space debris object to kind of like tangle it in wow. this big ball of twine kind of looking thing. Oh, yeah. And another one is like basically the equivalent of like space grade shaving cream. Um, <laughs> where you kind of just <laughs> squirt it on and then this thing mm -hmm. becomes this massive ball of foam um, that then like catches drag and kind of like Incredible. falls back into Earth. I love it. This is just making me want to go and play the Spider-Man game on the PS4. I honestly feel like, yeah, we've just had a range of different superpowers and I just want to see a team of super superheroes take down space debris. Is I did mention lasers. Work? I want to mention them again. Yes, um, they're not please. the kind of lasers that vaporize. They're the kind of lasers that push things. Um, uh, the real ones. Yeah. So it's <laughs> just sort of like, um, you know how light has momentum and so you can push things with light. Yeah. Like light sails and stuff. Solar sails. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool concept. Mm. Yeah. Same idea, except you're um, on Earth. Um, you've got a big old telescope um, that's looking and it's tracking these space debris objects. And when it sees one it doesn't like, you've also got a really high-powered laser right next to it that just goes pew, 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 and like nudges it up. Nudges so it's it off like course, a giant so space sniper with a, with, a, with a scope attached and that scope exactly. is telescope. It's, oh my God, <laughs> incredible. It's exactly Amazing. this. This is happening like, um, I know that there is like space tracking um, facilities kind of local. There's one in Mount Stromlo Observatory in Canberra. Oh, hey. I know Mount Stromlo. We've been there. We've been there a few times. <laughs> Once, so I've ridden my bike up and down that road. Mm -hmm. Many, <laughs> many any times. Of, any, any listeners ever pop through the ACT when it stops COVID? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, don't go great, great, great place for mountain biking, Mount Stromlo. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've also got telescopes there. Yeah. Yeah, they also have a telescope at the top. But really good for hill repeats as well if you're more into road cycling than mountain biking. Uh, Mount Stromlo, it's, you it's, know, it's got a great uh, crit track everyone. as well. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> something for everyone. Four cross track, you know. Mount Stromlo, uh, sponsor us. Um, Shout out yeah. to Mount Stromlo. <laughs> Become a patron. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, I can't remember why we started talking about Stromlo. The, the there was a space tracking facilities there. Ah. So can so does it have the space sniper? It, I don't think it has a space sniper yet. Oh, um, I did hear about like plans, yet. but I don't know. Yeah. So wrapping up, space debris. There's quite a lot of it. It comes from satellites mm -hmm. colliding. It also mm -hmm. comes from the Chinese government blowing up their own satellites <laughs> for military reasons. Um, 
it's getting a bit crowded in low earth orbit and it could lead to a real catastrophe mm. if things got too bad. Um, so we're trying to get rid of some of the space debris and that's kind of mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. And we're going to use... We're going to use superheroes to tentacles. Do <laughs> <laughs> tentacles, lasers, harpoons, and maybe shaving cream. We'll see. <laughs> I am so very here for that. That brings me so much, so much joy. That was <laughs> such a wild ride and had a lot of fun. Um, but are we ready to shuffle on to our listener question? So if you're... You know, not a regular listener to the show, new to the show. Every week we do a listener question that you can email us at curiosityrat at gmail.com if you would like to send your questions through and I will answer them. I had a lot of fun with this one. This this one, buckle, buckle up, lads, because <laughs> this question sent me down a rabbit hole that I wasn't expecting and it brought me a lot of joy. So the question reads... As all good questions should start <laughs> with, I was watching TikTok. Oh, mate. How good. <laughs> and Just I came across quick, one. How good's TikTok? Am I right, guys? <laughs> Fuck. Well, Hello, speaking of the Chinese government, how good is TikTok? <laughs> Please don't shut us down. <laughs> so I was watching TikTok and I came across one that said humans haven't worked out how eels mate. Apparently, they don't ah, have sex organs. Yes, yes, yes. Is yes, this yes. true? I know this story. I've heard <laughs> I don't a lot about ends, this but... <laughs> story. I, huh? I'm on TikTok a lot and the science TikTok a lot, so I, I've seen a few things about the eels. Interesting, I interesting. Well, you might know too much already and then this will be boring because all the big reveals, you'll be like, yes, I already knew that. But big that's reveals. Fine. <laughs> big reveals. Um, so, but for, for people who don't know anything about eels, because I didn't know heaps going into this, I was like, I remember there being something about us not knowing about hum about eels mating, but mm. I don't know. Anyway, like the more I looked into it, the more batshit this whole thing. This is something essentially that has been baffling people for literally thousands of years. Like, like, so essentially the hunt for eel testicles <laughs> and eel gonads <laughs> goes way back. And for ages and ages and ages, we couldn't find any. So the part of the question where it's like, apparently they don't have sex organs, not strictly true. And I'll get to that. They do, but we couldn't find them for like ages. Mm. And there's a really good reason for that but I'm going to tell it in a much more entertaining way. So <laughs> let's just like wind the clock back to, oh, one of the first kind of, you'll probably recognize the the name of the, um, the person who was, who was thinking about eels and, and, and wondering like, what's, what's the deal with mm. how to eat eels reproduce? Aristotle. Uh, we're going to start at Aristotle. I know about him. He did not think in that one time. He was wrong about almost everything, right? Yeah, he was. He had a lot of batshit ideas. Like, <laughs> he, didn't he think that like the reason he thought that objects slowed down over time is because they got tired before we knew <laughs> about like momentum and drag and all of that shit. Like that was that, that that's what I mean, the philosophy. To find yeah, getting I mean, tired, it was like right? the, the great of thinker of his time, but literally just like wondered things and then just made up answers. But he was the first yeah, okay, to do so, it, and so that's. But he wrote so, it down. So do you, do you want to know his? Do you want to know his fucking theory on eels? On yeah, the origin please. story of eels. So like eels, obviously they don't they don't have reproductive organs, yeah. therefore they don't reproduce. How so? Therefore, how do eels? Well, Aristotle <laughs> suggested that rainwater mixed with mud to spontaneously create eels. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, whenever I am in mud, I'm always just like, ah, oh, fuck, I got eels on my shoes again. Ah, <laughs> shit. Little baby eels. Um, he was the weird, like, four elements guy, right? He thought everything came from four things. So if you think everything comes from, like, earth, mm. water, fire, and air, like, yeah, it makes true. sense. That lines up with it. <laughs> At least he was consistent with his bad okay. shit right. fuckery. Well, let's, let's talk about Pliny the Elder, who was a thinker, great thinker of the ancient Roman times. I remember learning about him. Not to be confused with Pliny the Junior. Real guy. <laughs> Pliny, Pliny the Younger. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. So that actually was... <laughs> Uh, but Pliny the Elder died in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, so Aww. that's why I remember like learning about him. R.I.P. But he thought that eels. So it had been observed that eels would like rub themselves against rocks, like scratching nice. their backs or whatever. And so well, he thought that the honestly, it was just because an eel's good. Like the flakes, <laughs> huh? And then like little flakes of eel skin are gonna come off, and he thought that those little scrapings would then morph into adolescent eels. Okay, so kind of like worm theory, where you clef a worm in twain and it creates and it two worms. To worm. Yeah, like, it, I mean, and there were, like, oh, there were also just so many other, like, buck wild ones. Like some mean people. your eel's skin is just eggs? Well, that's that's what <laughs> I guess Pliny thought, but then, like, some people believed that eels were born from sea foam or when the rays of the sun hit the dew in a certain kind of way. In the English countryside, uh, most people believed that when the hairs from a horse tail fell into the water, <laughs> they turned into eels. I'm still hung up on this Pliny theory. I, I can't stop imagining eels as being like strawberries with their seeds on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> that is a terrifying thought. I think that, don't um, like some frogs do that? Like they have their little eggs and their tadpoles and like I've seen pictures of like frogs emerging from the back of a frog and it's honestly mm. really grotesque and horrible, but... A thing that I don't sometimes. know. I do not that's... know if that's true. Um, <laughs> One but I can time, tell please. you. <laughs> I can tell you that's not true for eels. Okay. Uh, this is not none of these theories. These like uh, you know, as science developed, we started to realize that none of this made any fucking sense. Right? Like life doesn't just kind of come from mud nowhere. and horse hair. Mud and horse hair and whatever. Right? Like it's you know, um, so. There must be gonads somewhere, right? Mm. And so they found, they actually found traces of ovaries uh, earlier than they found testes. Traces and of ovaries? That's so, what happened to the rest of them? Sense. As in, like, okay, so, like, so many eels have been dissected and, like, so many of them, the majority of them, like, you are not going to find any gonads. You're not going to find any sex organs. You're not going to find any reproductive organs of any kind, right? right? And I'll explain why in a moment. And this is what baffled people for so long is that they couldn't. So they found a couple that had ovaries and they were like, okay, so ovaries do exist. Make it they, they traces of ovaries. Not, yeah, that's what I meant by traces. It's like a couple of animals in not very many. Uh, in Sorry, a couple of animals in a, out of a large number. Right. Um, but okay, so the goal for science, the, the pinnacle of fucking science mm. in back in, you know, the 1800s became like, okay, find eel testicles. <laughs> like that is, so I want to tell you a story about one young researcher back mm -hmm. in 1876 who went so far as to spend 10 hours a day dissecting eels in the effort to find something that pointed to reproduction right day in day out apparently the way it goes he traveled to the local pier every day to purchase all of the eels that the fishermen had like caught that day 
and he spent so much time dissecting these flipping eels that he seemed to start hallucinating them. In fact, there is a letter, I've got a quote here, a letter that he wrote to a friend that says, my hands are stained by the white and red blood of the sea creatures. All I see when I close my eyes is the shimmering dead tissue, which haunts my dreams. And all I can think about are the big questions, the ones that go hand in hands with testicles and ovaries, the universe, pivotal questions. Oh my God. Um, And anyway. My boy needs a holiday. This guy's having an existential crisis. um, and, And this man's name was Albert Einstein. Oh, oh <laughs> no, come on. That would have been a cool reveal. What, what's what's no, my physics boy doing doing eel? No, eel. no, no. But do you want... Okay, so that's the meme, right? The meme is that it was Einstein. But do you want to know the actual reveal? Do you want to know who this actually was? Actual re- eel? Um, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> I shit you not. I cannot make this up. And that like, explains a lot. Right? Yeah, right? Knowing knowing this backstory, like, knowing that he was determined, like, so determined to be the first person to find eel testicles honestly makes so much sense somehow. Like, he didn't find them, by eel? the way. And then he went on to become the world's most renowned psychoanalyst, so the very eel, obsessed with human so, genitals. So, so, but... so the eel stuff was his his uh, his prequels. The, 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 that was yeah, his prelude. That was his prologue. That was his or- origin story. As that's a young, young researcher, that was his first, like, that's what he thought oh he wanted gosh. to do. And he thought he was going to be the first one to discover it. Uh, it didn't work out. Oh, no. He started getting haunted by eels. Um... There is it's some evidence that maybe he found like de- <laughs> always the flaccid, developing always testes flaccid. in one of them, but it's it's all a bit dicey. But essentially, it go like he he found nothing and and moved on and now doesn't talk about his history with eels. But because he's yeah. dead. Uh, well, <laughs> now doesn't talk about. It. But you know, like he grew up and then didn't you know drew attention to his other work more than more than that but yes yes it's such a weird, one like, the know, same part-time job that you have in like high school oh yeah i used to cut uh, up yours 10, 10 hours a day yeah <laughs> lol but okay so do you want to know i keep saying they couldn't find sex organs they couldn't find sex organs yeah the, like um you know tiktok that um faith watched was about like said that they didn't have sex organs um and i'm saying well they do but, um, so do you want to know why it took them so long to fucking find sex organs? Were they looking in the wrong place or something? Well, the, in, in, in a sense, not the wrong place within the animal, but the wrong place within the animal's life cycle. Mm. Because you see, this really interesting thing happened. For ages, there were these five different species. We thought they were five different species, five different, completely different animals that looked completely, completely different, right? Leptocephali, glass eels, elvers, yellow eels, silver eels, completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's, that's, that's what we thought until, uh, this, this one guy, uh, he was keeping a leptocephali, which is just these, they're like three millimeters, like a flipping tiny transparent little lava thing. They look like a weird little marine creature. He was keeping one in a pond, uh, in a pond, in a tank, mm. um, kind of left it for a bit, came back and to discover that it had like completely undergone this like full metamorphosis <laughs> and it had turned into a glass eel, which at the time they did not realize that uh, the glass eel is actually just the next stage in the life cycle of these lepto- um, leptocephali. But yeah. Some real Pokemon he would, he level He just kind of like came back and was like, oh. Um, and then they've since, and it took a bit of time for people to believe him. People were like, that's a load of no. Mm. Um, but eventually they figured out that, yeah, the, the leptocephali are the, the larva of the, um, of the eel, of the freshwater European eel. 
Um, and then there's the glass eels, and then there's the elvers, and then there's the yellow eels, so and then there's the silver did, eels. What year did you say that they found this out? Because like if if we if this is something we've been wondering since like Aristotle times, has it taken us this long to put an eel in captivity and see what happens? No, okay, but that's the thing. That's the thing. The metamorphosis doesn't seem to happen in captivity. Ooh. Uh, okay. okay. And it's only, we only kind of know through these, like, like it did in that one kind of sense, but often it, like, it doesn't just happen in, in captivity and, like, it, they actually need specific environmental cues to undergo this change and this transformation. Right. And also, like, we didn't realise for ages because... The crazy thing is, right, the leptocephali and the glass eels, like, they live in the ocean. They live in salt water. They live <laughs> hundreds of kilometers away from, like, the elvers and the yellow eels, which live upstream in fresh water. Like, no way are these the same animals. They live in completely different habitats. They're hundreds of kilometers away. Because this is the thing. This is the wild fucking thing, is that eels all spawn Okay, okay. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself Hold with, on, you this, can't with just, this kind you, of little you, reveal. You just you just use eels all spawn and then you stopped and now you're gonna mm. backtrack. You're gonna you're gonna, eels you're gonna all, mm -hmm. hang on. Mm -hmm. People were waiting for like thousands of years. We can wait like five minutes. <laughs> I know you can you can because like okay. So the moral of the story is we figured out that this is the life cycle and that the, these are all the different stages, right? But the really confusing thing is that yeah, they all lived in such different habitats. So we were like, okay like what but that's <laughs> so the whole let's just quickly address the whole they don't have sex organs bit we we found testes we found ovaries we found you know gonads the means of reproduction but Seize only the means in of reproduction sorry um oh i probably won't do that. <laughs> it, but, only I, I in the really really like last part of their life so these things can live like up to like 70 100 years like you know they wait, wait, eels have a real? fucking long life <laughs> yeah <laughs> they they live not for... but was that hyperbole 70 hundred oh, years? Just... No, 70, 70 years is, is okay 70 oh. years not 70 hundred years so I like just... aristotle's age not oh 70 to 100 70 to 100 years okay. 70 dash 100 but like yeah right um, okay 70 you know seven decades is is what you're looking at for the lifespan so like um, life. of one of these right yeah, which is why it's been so hard to kind of, like, track them over their lifetime and it's been really hard to, like, figure shit out. But, like, okay, we were looking in all the wrong places, right? Because what we were doing and what Freud was doing mm. was dissecting glass eels or elvers or yellow eels. Mm. Then they're, they're not going to have gonads because, essentially, they don't develop sex organs until they're that very mature adult, until they're that silver eel that's ready to, like, migrate back to the spawn site i'll explain that mm. in a second um and then it grows the sex organs then so we've like you were never going to find these sex organs in you know the species of glass eel or the species uh. of elva because it was not a separate species it was actually just a different stage of the life cycle and they don't develop until later but but we've also still never actually seen eels mate uh, Nor have we, so we don't actually know how the actual insemination bit happens. And we also have never found eel eggs, never. right? Um, the current kind of theory about the is fertilization is that it actually happens externally. Like they, you know, release a flurry of 
sperm and free-floating mm. eggs and it's an external fertilization situation that happens. But we've not actually found proof of any of this. They don't bump uglies, they spew uglies. Yeah, they <laughs> spew uglies. Yeah, so we've never seen them mate and we've never found eggs because also they don't do this in captivity. They won't breed in captivity and they won't, you know... They don't like an audience. They need very specific conditions and... The problem, I, like, we've never observed this this bumping of uglies or spewing of uglies in <laughs> the wild because part of it is that we kind of don't know where to look because, okay, this is, this is where it gets even more whack is, okay, so I've said that all these different stages of eels, they live in different, you know, some live in the ocean, some live in rivers, some live in lakes. Um, they get around. You know, They're well-traveled. But what actually happens... And, and, like, all of this is, I will say, a theory based on, like, 20 years' worth of work done by Johannes Schmidt, who essentially decided to purchase a boat and set off in an expedition, vowing not to return until he had discovered the birthplace and life cycle of this eel. So, yeah, come back. Um, <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> and so he sailed around on a boat for 20 years, essentially, gathered a shit ton of data, and was able to infer where the mating grounds of all the eels were located. Because they were like, how is it possible that they're starting out as lava, like, in the ocean mm. and then as they get older you know they they move upstream and they move to different like they move to so fresh how water how and... are, how are the most mature ones giving birth and like how is this such a widespread situation yeah. and it turns out that they're doing this fucking 6000 kilometer migration from the spawn site where all the eels sort of spawn from all these european eels spawn from this spawn site then as lava they drift like fucking you know, thousands of kilometers across towards European waters where they grow from about three millimeters to about 48 millimeters and change into a glass eel. The eel then makes its way like inland, transitioning from salt water to fresh water, which is like that's fucking, fucking that wild to begin that. with, right? <laughs> so what happens is the eels, it's part of this, it's like a butterfly metamorphosis. Like they completely change, like their kidneys shift to retain more salt to maintain the, oh uh, the blood salinity. Like it, it's fully, it's fully whack. Sounds like and a lot of And then they transform whack. into an elva. And then the elvas swim along the rivers and eventually into lake water. And then once the eels find somewhere to settle in the lake, they start eating everything. Like they just start mm. eating a shit ton. And they transition into the form of a yellow eel over the course of the next decade. So, and then oh. they grow up to about 80 centimetres, so just under a metre. Um, then they kind of just get comfortable in the lake for like 30 odd years or so, right? They just, that's, mm. they, that's where they hang out, the yellow eels. Um, and then after that, they begin a migration back towards the ocean, which is where they transform into silver eels. And these are the oldest ones. These are the biggest ones. And it's during this migration, these silver eels travel the whole fucking 6,000 kilometers back to the spawn site. Uh. <laughs> and, and, and the wildest thing happens is like, we haven't actually been able to fully track this whole, this whole backwards um, thing. Cause it's just, it, it just takes them such a long time. And our technology is not good enough yet to have been able to fully map out which, this entire migration. Which is whack to me because pattern. like, you know, we can put shit in space, but we can't follow an eel. Like, yeah, I know. We can it's, put it's microchips actually... in a vaccine, but we can't put microchips in an eel. Like, <laughs> or like we can, we can, but in terms of like, because they go like right down deep in the ocean and you, the signal to noise, some of the papers I was reading, they were saying the issues are like, they could track. I found one 
study that was able to track the first 1300 kilometers, but then the, like, you know, the batteries died, uh, right? Batteries. And then you lose the eels. Like, you know, this is, this is a fucking long trek back to the spawning grounds. And so we just haven't actually been able to prove it. But the, the way that we've, I, we've identified these spawning grounds, which where else for such an, a fucking weird elusive creature, but something called the Sargasso Sea, right? Which is <laughs> Wait, a sea. All eels? Uh, all European freshwater eels, and also they think American freshwater eels. <laughs> wow. Um, they all spawn in this like Sargasso Sea. So a Sargasso Sea is it's bound by a series of currents. So it's got like four different currents that kind of trace the outside, and and it's like a sea within a sea. It's the L2 like it's of its own separate. It's its own separate sea. It's the penthouse orbit of the sea. <laughs> But but you know you know what you know what's fucking whack about it? What? Um you may have also heard of the Sargasso Sea because it has a chunk that overlaps with something you may have also heard of called the Bermuda fucking Triangle. Uh, <laughs> eels All the eels come from the Bermuda Triangle. The I cannot eels. make this up. The eels are sinking the ships. The eels are sinking the ships. It's all the okay, eels. So like this is the wild thing, right? We we have found and we we know with great confidence, or at least mm. like this is as far as official scientific word, no one has been able to disprove this yet, is that that is the spawning grounds of the eel because we tracked the larva, the le lep leptocephali, back until they were the smallest. And when they found the very, very smallest ones, because obviously as they travel and grow and whatever, they get bigger. So they tracked them back all the way back until they were finding the smallest ones of these, and that was at the Sargasso Sea. Mm -hmm. But at the, have they ever seen... Older silver eels at the Sargasso Sea? No. Well, have they seen them having sex there? No. But have they even seen them there? No. Have they found any eel eggs there? No. They've just found the the freshly born babies. So like, mm, okay. Like, <laughs> so we still don't actually have any clue where the fuck they're coming from. From the Bermuda Triangle, where we've never <laughs> seen them get it on, we've never seen them give birth, we've never seen the the parents ready to give birth, we've never even seen a pregnant eel. Like You know what? It wouldn't surprise like, me if they have a little stint on land and that's what snakes are. <laughs> oh no, but no no no, eels can actually move on land. Stop what? it. So th no. This is Fuck fucking off. Yeah, shut so, up. So, what? because sometimes they can travel, they they can survive for up to forty eight hours out of water because they can breathe through their skin and they slither along land like a fucking snake, and that's how they get uh, to like lakes and stuff that don't have any other what? water access point. Okay, so surely, and so they, like they, if they're living in like a pond or a lake and they're trying to migrate back to the ocean, they will slither across the fucking land. That's terrifying and so yeah. cool. <laughs> so, so surely there's a extra life cycle that we don't know about where they just chill on land for a bit, right? Right. Surely. I mean, there that's totally the could thing. be. Like, that's the thing. Like, we thought for a very long time that they spawned from mud, for fuck's sake. Like, we could very well still be wrong. I swear to here. God, if they can fly as well. I'm a... <laughs> are there any other animals that we don't know how they breed because they are eels? Like, there's, there is a missing piece to this puzzle for sure. Oh, my God. Like, you know, like, we've... Oh, uh, yeah. In terms of, like, answering the original question of, like, is it true that they don't have sex organs. No, that's not true, but they develop them. We thought that for a very long time, um, and it turns out they just develop them really late in life. 
Um, but then, yeah, humans haven't worked out how eels mate. That is 100% true. Humans still have no fucking clue. And we've been trying since Aristotle. Freud gave it a good go. <laughs> we've tried so hard. and But it's happening in the Bermuda fucking Triangle. So who the hell knows? And apparently they can and go And then they on undergo land. this, like, 6,000-kilometer oh migration round trip, like, to... Eels are insane. You what know? about electric eels? Are they a part of this wax They're not cycle? eels. Uh, electric what? eels are not eels. Bullshit. Just like killer whales are not whales. Uh, I, oh. Fine, I guess. God, fucking misnomers. I um, swear to goodness. Yeah. Sorry to break it If it, it looks like but an eel and really slithers like cool. an eel, then I guess it's a fucking arthropod or some shit. <laughs> because fucking nothing matters and everything's a lie. And... Are eels just long fish? <laughs> Uh, eels are just long fish. Okay. Well, not just long. Eels are long fish, but they're really cool. Like they don't have scales like regular regular fish, like other fish. They're quirky. So, what makes an uh, eel an eel, know. and what makes an electric eel not an eel? I I I'm not in charge of the classification or the fi- like <laughs> phylogenetic trees and how do we decide what animal? I just I, f- I feel like you know not. if they're gonna be strict about you know the classification, <laughs> no, an electric eel is not an eel. I need I need to know why why why. Okay, I you know because it doesn't Send mean. Send it through I guess, to well, curiosity rat at gmail. <laughs> yeah, email us curiosityrat at gmail.com and we will follow up that question next episode. My goddamn uh, co-host, I have a right to know. <laughs> you have the right to look that up for yourself once this episode. Has I may or may not have like emailed an eel-related uh, question <laughs> during this segment. You know what? No, you know I'm what? Sorry, you know I don't what? have an answer. No, for that's you. all right. All you I know, know what? Is that they're not eels. You sometimes Google shit on air, so you know what? I'm gonna do it too. I'm gonna right now do a cheeky Google. Why is an electric eel not an eel? This is happening. While they resemble mm-hmm. eels in appearance, they're actually a type of fish known as a knife fish. By dis- so right, Ben's already emailed Curiosity Rat. Tell me more about electric eels. I want more <laughs> eel content. <laughs> But they're not eels, so I can't tell you more about electric eels. Uh, they're more closely related to catfish than eels, apparently. Well, tell me about electric yep. goddamn catfish, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the eel that's cool, it's the electric, yeah. right? Oh my god, the electric eels are catfish us. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a fantastic note yeah. of chaos to ring this back in, get this train back on the racks and... Back on the racks, back on the rails. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Rails and Finish tracks this episode strong. Racks. No, rails um, are not actually racks. <laughs> but electric uh, rails. Well, look. <laughs> I think I've said rail. all that I wanted to say about eels. So we're going to, I'm going to call it that we're ending it there. Yep. Um, listeners, if you loved everything our resident spaceman had to say, where can, where can our listeners find um, you? Ben, I have an know. Instagram where I talk about things sometimes, Benjamin.Metha. Mm. Very normal. Mm-hmm. It's just where I talk about the Very science normal. things that I've been up to. Nice. Hell yeah. I love I love hearing about the science things that you've been up to. It's good fun. Um, and if you would like to follow us on social media, as always, you can find us at Curiosity Rat is our handle on both Twitter and Instagram. We also have a Facebook page, Curiosity Killed the Rat. We also have a Patreon. Um, So if you love what we do, if you appreciate the effort we put in, you know, absolutely no pressure whatsoever. But if you want to chuck the minimum, I think, is a dollar a month our way so we can keep making this content for you, we would be incredibly grateful. But no pressure, no pressure. 
if you want to just vibe the free content, vibe the free content. All That's of the money for. raised on our Patreon will go directly towards the uh, the search for eel sex within the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Straight towards uh, Johanna Yeah, we're Schmitt's gonna vote. we're gonna establish a philanthropic uh, grant. For, um, uh, disclaimer for legal reasons, none of that is true. We will use the money <laughs> to pay for our Google Drive. Um, <laughs> for our distributor, for our, you know, ongoing costs <laughs> that maintaining this podcast require, but yes. But also eel sex. And also eel sex. Uh, <laughs> so with that, folks, hope you've had a good one. I've had a blast. Thank you for Returning to the show. Again, a friend, friend of the, of the show. show. Best friend of the show. Best friend Best of the show. Best friend of the show. I feel Ooh. like Aww. at this point, you know, what's this? The third episode you've been on? That, that, that nominates best friend of the show until until someone overtakes you. That's <laughs> no right. one the best will. friend of the show position <laughs> is competitive. Um, oh, has Kat done three episodes? Ooh. Ooh. Maybe. Ben. <laughs> Friend of the show. There can only be no. This friendship is good to be shared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, friendship I've heard is best experience with friends as a shared thing. <laughs> friendship is not great alone. It takes us. two to friendship. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, um, and with that, let's sink this sinking. Into the Bermuda Triangle, where hopefully we will be fucked by eels. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hey, it's Benji from Slightly in the Future. I can't believe that we said that eels come from the Bermuda Triangle and we didn't mention the eel Illuminati. Um, this is important content, Matt. You can just splice that in at the right time. <laughs> Thank you and thanks. <laughs>